0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Symphony Podcast. My name is Bernardo Mite and with me as always
1: is... A guy by the name of Andrew Owen. Yes, a guy by the name of Andrew <laughs> Owen. All right. Um, it's officially my name from now on. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: uh, today we're going to be talking about Herbert House uh, and his composition, uh, Hymni in Paradisi. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And this is a, comp- a composer that I have never really studied that much. I mean, I heard about him and I might have heard a couple of his choir pieces, but I didn't actually ever study him that much. So, it's really cool to learn about him and also hear in this piece is a really wonderful work. All right.
1: Yeah, he's kind of obscure outside of um, the singing world, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that he did write some instrumental works. Yeah, uh, I do know that. My pianist friends know him for his uh, piano concertos, mm-hmm. uh, which are fun, delightful twentieth-century piano pieces that sound nothing like his choral music.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, or his vocal music. Yeah, and uh, we are gonna talk about another uh, English composer today. So last last week we did host, Today we're gonna do another English composer from around the same time. But also, right. uh, there's a new thing that we're introducing today. Up until today, we've been talking about um, orchestral pieces that are only with only, only orchestras. Today, we're actually gonna talk about a pieces um, for orchestra, of course, but also for choir. So that's that's a new thing for today.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mahler tried it a couple times, uh, <laughs> adding choirs to his pieces. But you know, oh, yeah. Howells did it quite exclusively. <laughs> oh yeah, but to, we're actually gonna talk about. A piece of the choir. This is our first go. Tell me about about Howells. (laughs) Well, Howells, Herbert Howells, was born in Lydney, Gloucestershire. Uh, He was the youngest of uh, six children. uh, Oliver Howells, a plumber, painter, decorator, and builder, sort of a handyman, uh, and his wife Elizabeth. Uh, His father was a musician. Uh, He played the organ at the local Baptist church, and Herbert himself showed early musical promise Uh, I imagine having something to do with how much time he heard music all around his growing up. Mm -hmm. He was born in 1892, if that wasn't clear, 1892. uh, He dies in 1983, so he pretty much spans the 20th century Mm -hmm. uh, in his adult life, uh, well until 1983. Mm -hmm. In any case, uh, so yeah, his father played the organ at the local Baptist church. Uh, Herbert himself uh, had plenty of uh, musical promise. Uh, He he occasionally subbed for his father at that church and then moving at the age of 11 to the local church of England Parish Church as a choir boy and an unofficial deputy organist. So he was a person who very quickly as a child started getting uh, comfortable with music and making music with other people.
0: Yeah, so the Howells family, the the Howells family's financial position was always precarious and at some point uh, in Howells' adolescence his father became bankrupt which was very humiliating for for them in this small community that they lived in Um, and also uh, this was um, a a financial crisis that Howells never actually fully recovered from. Um, Financially assisted by a member of the family of uh, Charles Bathurst uh, which was
1: the first uh, Viscount of Bled Bled, bled, <laughs> You really have to appreciate the Brits for their outrageous names. Yes. Uh, Bathurst, first viscount uh, Bledisloe. <laughs> Bledisloe. <laughs> I, I guess that's probably how you pronounce it. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds perfect. <laughs> and this this uh,
0: viscount, he uh, had taken an interest in the in this in the musician in in Howells. So Howells began music lessons in 1905 with Herbert Brewer. Uh, which was the organist of the Gloucester Cathedral. And at 16, he became the, his, his uh, student at the cathedral alongside Ivor Novello and Ivor Gurney. Uh, the, uh, the Later, Ivor Gurney became a close friend of, of Howells. And the pair, um, they would go on long walks uh, through the Gloucester... Gloucester uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to love think. Gloucestershire. In Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire, there's too much in there.
1: Uh, so they would walk. A few silent
0: bits. They would walk, <laughs> They would walk along the, through the Gloucestershire gl- gl- countryside, <laughs> discussing their shared love of music and English literature.
1: Yeah. So that's one thing about the English uh, lifestyle, especially around the, the early 20th century, is that you could literally walk anywhere and just uh-huh. go along the countryside, and it was really quite pleasant. Uh-huh. You weren't necessarily trespassing. It all belongs to the king. Yeah. I mean, Holstead is too, so here's another oh, Yeah, it's just, it's just pleasant <laughs> to go on walks. It's harder in the United States to go on nice long walks so that you happen to own several acres of forested land. Yeah, you might get ch- shot. <laughs> so, yeah, people get uppity about that kind of stuff. Um, so, another formative experience for the Young Howells was the premiere uh, in uh, September 1910 uh, of uh, Ralph Vaughan Williams' Fantasia on the Theme of Thomas Tallis. Uh, this premiere occurred over at the uh, Gloucester Three Choirs Festival. Uh, a really well-known and, and uh, really big choral festival that happened uh, quite frequently. So, so Howells liked to relate in after years uh, how Vaughan Williams sat next to him for the remainder of this concert and shared his score of Elgar's The Dream of Gerontius uh, with the awestruck aspiring composer. Uh, he, you know, he so he had was sort of sat on the lap of Vaughan Williams mm-hmm. as a as a youngin, mm-hmm. as well you know, relatively young. He was still a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Vaughan Williams and the Tudor composers of which Talos was uh, one profoundly uh, influenced Howells's later work. So he was a person who I think was Im- trying to embody some some British English uh, musical tradition. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure if you can consider which... him someone who was terribly nationalistic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean I think that I think he probably was. I mean, he, uh, but I think he was a little more universalistic in his approach to things, which we'll talk about later with um, take him worth for cherishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a work Uh, dedicated to Kennedy's assassination, Uh to his death.
0: Yeah, so in 1912, following the example of Ivor Gurney, his friend, Howells moved to London to study at the Royal College of Music, and here his teachers included uh, Stanford, uh, Hubert Perry, and Charles Wood. Uh, Among Howells contemporaries in the the student body were Gurney, uh, Arthur, Arthur Bliss, and Arthur Benjamin.
1: Okay. So if you needed to be a composer in England and you needed to take from these people. These are uh, I mean Charles Wood, Stanford Perry, we all the mm-hmm. uh, people who sing in choir still sing all of these people's music mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. These are really prominent folks.
0: Yeah. So how's blossomed in what he is con- in what he considered the cozy family atmosphere at the college? and his Mass in the Dorian mode was performed at Westminster Cathedral under Terry, R. R. Terry within weeks of his arrival. Um, for the most part, however, his music at, at this time was orchestral, uh, worse included a piano concerto, uh, with John after its first performance, um, also a light orchestral suite, the, uh, b- the bees portraying his friends at the college, and the three dances for violin and orchestra. More typical of the words with uh, which house was later to be associated were his earliest important compositions for organ, the first set of Psalm Preludes uh, be written between uh, 1915 and 1916, and the first of the Opus 17, which is the Rhapsodies. Oh yes.
1: So yeah, his uh, he was doing pretty well with some good compositional output uh, until uh, in 1915 he was diagnosed with Graves' disease, which is an autoimmune disorder. Um, it's the one where uh, your thyroid makes too much uh, of its, um, its substance, its thyroid, um, mm-hmm. I guess, hormone, mm-hmm. uh, and you wind up having all these really bad symptoms. So his poor health prevented him from being conscripted in World War I, arguably preserving him from the worst fate, awaiting Gurney and others of his forensic contemporaries. Mm-hmm. So he was a person who, uh, thanks to a pretty unpleasant uh, hyperthyroidism, uh, <laughs> was uh, spared death, more than likely, yeah. as a result of not going to war. Mm-hmm. So, at St. Thomas's Hospital, he was given the previously untried treatment of radium injections in the neck, administered twice a week over a period of two years. Uh, for much of this time, Howells traveled between London for treatment and Lydney, uh, where he was nursed by his mother. He was nonetheless still able to compose, and in 1916 produced the first work of his mature composition, uh, the first work that we can look at uh, decisively and go, this is very, very well-written music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the piano quartet in A minor, dedicated to The Hill at Chosen and Ivor Gurney, who, ch- who knows it, uh, was in the following year one of the first works published under the auspices of the Carnegie United Kingdom Trust. In the, first, in the, uh, sorry, in the following year, Howells became an assistant organist at Salisbury Cathedral, but only held the post for a few months, finding repeated journeys to London for treatment too difficult. Friends then arranged for a grant from the Carnegie Trust, which paid for Howells to assist R. R. Terry in editing the voluminous Latin Tudor um, repertoire that Terry and uh, his choir were reviving at the Westminster Cathedral. So, uh, the work provided Howells with a comfortable income, and it enabled him to absorb the English Renaissance style, which he would later evoke in his music, uh, which he loved. Uh, his first significant works for choir, the, the three carol anthems, were written around this time. The Hero's Little Door, A Spotless Rose, and Sing Lullaby. I think his, the most famous of those three is A Spotless Rose, I think that's a huge Christmas cla- classic. Uh, people will sing that all the damn time. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: so um,
0: in 1920s, um, Howells Howells married Dorothy Dahl, uh, who lived between 1891 and 1975, who, and she was a singer whom he had met in 1911, uh, when he was, uh, her, when he, when he was de- deputizing her as a accompanist. <laughs> the marriage endured despite Howells' frequent infidelities, and produced two children, Ursula, who lived between 1922 and 2005, uh, which, who was later an actress, and Michael, who lived between 1926 and 1935, only nine years. And this this uh, Michael, his son, is all, all going to play a very important part in the composition that we're going to talk about today. So,
1: yeah, Ursula mm-hmm. Howells. Um, she's. Uh, I imagine she probably was named after Von Williams's uh, daughter Ursula. <laughs> yeah. So in
0: yeah, I don't know. in this same year, um, in 1920. Um, he joined the staff at the Royal College of Music, where he was to remain until 1979. Among his students were Robert Simpson, uh, Gordon Jacob, James Bernard, Paul Spicer, Madeleine Drink and Imogen Holst, who we talked about last week. Uh, oh, yes. So uh, this post that he held at the RCM, uh, which uh, from 1925 he combined with the position of Director of Music at St. Paul's Girls' School. Uh, and Frequent work as a as a competition educator uh, was to reduce the amount of time he could devote to composition, Uh, but he continued to write orchestral and chamber music, including the string quartet in Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. In, in Gloucestershire, which was originally <laughs> written in 1916, but rewritten in whole or in part several times, and not reaching its final form until until the 1930s. And a quick aside here: that's kind of a theme that that happens throughout his compositional life, where he starts something, but he doesn't he, he doesn't go anywhere with it, and then later he revises it, and then he, he finally publishes. He does this, he does this a lot, where he has a lot of uh, earlier kind of pieces that he finally uh, either publishes or recomposes. So uh, this art, um, also another composition from this time is the Overture, Overture Mary I from 1920 and the Second Piano Concerto of 1925. The first performance of, of this uh, concerto occasioned uh, a demonstration in the concert hall from a hostile critic. Howells, uh, always oversensitive to criticism, withdrew this work and produced few significant compositions for several years. So he, was, he didn't like criticism that much, as we can see. Uh, things yeah, so um, one exception was Lambert's uh, clavichord of 1928, which was a rare example of a composition by a 20th century composer for that instrument. Uh, it was in- inspired by a clavichord lent to Howells by his friend Herbert Lambert, an instrument uh, maker and photographer based in Bath. Uh, several other major compositions written around this time, however, remained unperformed, notably uh, an a cappella requiem to English words written in 1932, and a choral work uh, named *A Kent Yeoman's Wooing Song*, written the following year, in
1: 1933. So yeah, so, you know, so he, he had some good output there. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I just Googled Ursula Howells turns out she's this really well-known English actress. Oh really? Uh, I had no idea. <laughs> 1922 to 2005. Oh. She was in all kinds of film and television. There you go. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, family tragedy. Uh, so his. Um, so things didn't go so well uh, for uh, his son. This is, uh, this is part of our story with hymnus paradisi, uh in, uh in September 1935, um, Howells uh, found out that his nine-year-old son had contracted polio, his son Michael, during a family holiday. And then he died in London only three days after the diagnosis. Um, <coughs> Howells was deeply affected and continued to commemorate the event until the end of his life. You know this. Uh, People have trouble uh, mourning the death of a a child, obviously that's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the suggestion of his daughter Ursula, he sought to channel his grief into music, and over the next three years composed much of this uh, large-scale choral work, uh, which was eventually to become Hymnus Paradisi, uh, drawing on material from the unpublished Requiem of 1932. Uh, This remained, in Howell's words, a personal, almost secret document, quote-unquote, until 1950. So other commemorative works written around this time include the concerto for strings written in 1938, the slow movement of which is, the, uh, is in joint memory of Michael and Edward Elgar, um, Michael's son and Edward Elgar, 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 the composer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hymn tune "Michael" uh, to the words "All my hope on God is founded" by Robert Bridges, uh, and the unfinished cello concerto on which Howells had been working at the time, i uh, working on at the time of his boy's death, and which he found himself unable to complete. Um, to a greater or lesser extent, however, much of Howells' subsequent music shows uh, the influence of this loss. It's a, it's a really huge deal, but I, I'd say that the biggest work that comes out of, uh, out of Michael's death to polio is um, Hymnus Paradisi, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a bit.
0: Yeah. So, from the late 1930s, Howells turned increasingly to choral and organ music, composing a second series of song preludes, followed by a set of six pieces uh who he had begun in 1930 uh who he begun in 1939 um of which the third uh, which was master talis testament uh, a particular favorite of the composers recalled his formative experience of van william's uh talis fantasia um also a set of four anthems originally titled in time of war and including the popular O pray for the peace of jerusalem and like as the heart Uh, in august of that of that year Uh, Howells was invited to serve as acting organist of St. John's College in Cambridge, replacing Robin Orr, who was away on active service in World War II. Uh, Howells' association with Cambridge, which lasted until the end of the war in 1945, uh, was a productive and happy period for him, uh, and led directly to the wars of which he is most remembered. remembered. Uh, He later recalled, being challenged by the Dean of the of King's College, Eric, Eric uh, Milner White, to write a set of canticles for the choir. The result, we'll talk about canticles in a bit. <laughs> so, the result was the Deum and jubilate of the service known as Collegium Regali, or, yeah, performed in... King's College, yeah. yeah. yeah um, performed in 1944, followed the following year by the Magnificat and Nunc Dimittis. Um, and completed in 1940 in 1956 uh by the office of Holy Communion um, so uh this this uh, Collegium Regale um, and the evening service of uh Gloucester and St Paul's cathedral which followed in 1946 and 1951 respectively remain the best known and most admired of the many settings uh, of the Anglican liturgy written by Howells uh for particular choirs and buildings over the next thirty years.
1: So yeah, uh, canticles. canonicals, those are those, those songs that are always the same for uh, prayer services in the Anglican Church uh, either in the morning or the evening. The evening ones are the Magnificat and Nunc de Midis. and And these are pieces that uh, are in the Anglican tradition always in English. Um, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior is the Magnificat, and it goes on, Nunc uh, de as a different text. Uh, but these are works that um, that Howells wrote a heck of a lot of. He wrote about I'd say 20, 25 of these uh, of these pairs of these of these two um, uh, canticles mm-hmm. they're called. Uh, and so that's probably how most people who know who Herbert Howells is know him. Mm-hmm. They know him through um, having sung one or two of his um, um, uh, canticle Cant- sets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in 1949, the organist Herbert uh, Sumption asked Howells if he had anything that could be performed at the 1953 Choirs Festival, which was to be held in Gloucester. Uh, So Howells decided to bring out the incomplete choral work that he had written in his son Michael's memory between 1936 and 1938. uh, in later years, Howells claimed it was at the urging of von Williams, that the piece was disinterred, that it was taken away. Uh, so the work, retitled Hymnus Paradisi, at Tsumshin's suggestion, was completed and orchestrated in time for its first performance on September 7, 1950, uh, the day after the 15th anniversary of Michael's death. It was Howells' greatest public and critical success, and for many years was his best-known work. Uh, this... Uh, very very large works no, we're talking about it. So, so shorter choral works written around this time include the Carol Anthem Long Long Ago in 1951 the introit Behold O God Our Defender which is written for uh, Queen Elizabeth II's coronation and in 1953 The House of the Mind in 1954 uh, Four Chorus and Strings mm-hmm. uh, so yeah <clears throat> so he wrote plenty of things other than the Hymnus paradisi he around the early 50s yeah. uh, well not that me he he had that premiere while having done that. So he wrote the, the Hymnus Paradisi in the mid-thirties. He had it actually premiered in 1950. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Uh, though not an Orthodox Christian, Howells was, was now chiefly um, identified with the composition of religious music. His follow-up work was the Hymnus Paradisi, uh, was an extend, extended setting of the Latin mass for soloists, chorus, and orchestra, named uh, Misa Sab- uh, Sabrinensis. Uh, after the River Savern and first performed in uh, Worcester Cathedral as part of the Three Choirs Festival in 1954. It was considered a disappointment after the success of the earlier work uh, and its extreme complexity and difficulty difficulty, uh, has prevented it becoming widely known. The critic Michael Kennedy, however, considers it one of Howells' finest work. Uh, Howells followed followed this composition with An English Mass written in 1956 uh, which is a smaller scale setting of um, se- setting to English words for chorus, string and organ. Uh, his, final, his final large-scale choral work was the uh, Sabbath matter uh, setting a text whose um, subsidiary theme of a parent mourning a child uh, had obviously personal significance. Uh, he began it in 1959 but found it difficult to, difficult to complete. It was not performed until 1965. Uh, in the meantime Howells had been commissioned to write a motet uh, for the memorial service of John F. Kennedy, uh, so he chose that, uh, to set the Helen Waddell's translation of uh, Prudentius, uh *Hymnus circa Exequias defuncti*, uh, the first two lines of which had served uh, as which uh, had served as epigraph to *Hymnus Paradisi*. Uh, the resulting work, *Take Him Earth for Cherishing*, uh, of 1963. Uh, linking the loss of Kennedy with Howells' loss of his son is described by Howells' pupil um, uh, Paul Sp- Spicer um, as quote a classic, a classic of 20th-century choral music unquote and an undoubted masterpiece unquote.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so Howells continued to compose uh, well into his late 80s, but he wrote nothing further on the scale of the Stabat Mater. Uh, one of the last works to appear in his lifetime was the Requiem. Uh, Edited for performance from his old manuscripts, uh, edited in 1980 uh, and published the following year, almost 50 years after its composition. Uh, So you can imagine, there's a lot of you you can add some good, mature uh, decision-making skills of a a aged composer in that uh, requiem, which is Mm -hmm. performed much more often than the Hymnus Paradisi these days because it takes fewer forces, Mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, so he died on uh, February 23, 1983, in a nursing home in Putney. Uh, one day after his good friend Sir Arthur, um, sorry, uh, Sir Adrian Bolt, uh, and his ashes uh, were interred in Westminster Abbey. So he was—he died at a sort of a ceremonious time, having died with his good friend and a person who conducted many important works of, uh, of English composers, including Howells. Uh, they are both interred in Westminster Abbey at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm so howells held many other appointments including the uh, presidencies of the incorporated society of musicians the plain song and medieval music society and the royal college of Organists. Uh, in 1931 he became the first uh, john Collar fellow of the worshipful company of musicians and in 1959 succeeded elgar and van williams as the third john Collier's life fellow he was uh, master of of the company in 1959 to 1960 Uh, in 1937 he was awarded the degree of doctor of music at oxford and in 1961 he was awarded an honorary doctorate at cambridge where he was where he was made an honorary fellow of st john's college in 1966. other honors include the cbe of 1960
1: 1953
0: commander of the british empire (laughs) (laughs) commander of the british empire and uh ch with um of 1972 that stands for something Something else. <laughs> uh, he wrote uh those are orders
1: of, of knighthood. that is what those were.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and he wrote a number of articles in a rich elusive style and delivered many radio talks as well.
1: So, you know, all around, good guy. So Howells' uh, mature style skillfully interweaves a number of strands. So uh, of his formative influences, probably the most important were modal counterpoint, which he got from his, um, his Tudor models, uh, Elgar and his elegiac aspects, uh, and Vaughan Williams, whose talus fantasia had a, had a huge effect on the young composer, and uh, whose pastoral symphony, on which Howells wrote a very large uh, article, uh, deeply influenced the string quartet uh, in Gloucestershire. Uh, the most uh, substantial of Howells' instrumental works. Uh, to these must also be added the topography of his native Gloucestershire and his love of English literature. Now, These quintessentially English ingredients are mixed with an un-English technical uh, assurance and made uh, piquant by richly sensuous harmonies. Uh, so his, uh, uh, his his harmonies can arguably be more French in origin, he did know Ravel personally, um, uh, but uh, his early chamber works, notably will be the Piano Quartet and the Fantasy String Quartet, um, and the Rhapsodic Quintet for Clarinet and Strings, uh, and In Gloucestershire, all of these reveal a, a sort of a natural poet in sound. Uh, he has a, um, he is a very very aware of structural problems and knows how to solve them. Uh, the strong melodic impulse is often vocal in feeling. So even in his instrumental works, all of these works have a line, and, uh, and I, you know, just I have to say that that's probably one of Howells's most. Um, you know, I think I think if I'm listening to a composer and I hear a very long, uh, seemingly unmeasured but actually very precisely measured uh, sound uh, of, of several different lines, several different lines, that's Howells. He is a guy that writes many different lines and mm-hmm. does it quite effectively. Mm-hmm. But, so uh, he already, uh, here already are many of the qualities that made him the finest grained of the Georgian composers of the you know, composers around the time of George of uh, King George. <coughs> Howells, by the early 1920s, with a string of successes behind him, was a composer of whom much was expected. Uh, People sort of expected him to carry on the the, the torch from the, his older friends von Williams and, and Holst and those guys mm-hmm. so so two major orchestral commissions uh, signe nominee and the second piano concerto both in 1922 and 25 uh, respectively uh, saw him grappling with the problem of single movement form but neither work was very well received I honestly have not heard either one uh, and the failure of the concertos premiere followed by its withdrawal uh, it was not revived until after the composer's death in 83 so all of this brought about a creative crisis. So Howells, immersing himself in teaching and adjudicating, uh, wound up producing several substantial works, uh, wound up producing a few, sorry, few substantial works between 1925 and 1935. Um, and then in 35, uh, when Michael uh, dies, his son, he, um, his creativity starts to, to blossom more after that.
0: Mm-hmm. There is in all of Howells' best music an underlying mournful sense of uh, fleetingness and loss. Uh, he was deeply deeply affected by the human waste of World War I and his elegy of 1917. Uh, composed in memory of a close friend killed in the fighting uh, is an eloquent expression of personal grief. Uh, the death from polio of his own nine-year-old son in 1935 affected him at the deepest level and it, it, it is arguably the most uh, of his um, subsequent work where uh, to the greatest, or to the greater or lesser degree, influenced by it. Uh, of course, we're going to talk about that. Uh, these quali- qualities are evident in other works, including uh, made p- uh, peerless for women's chorus, the unaccompanied "Take Him Earth" for cherishing, and "The Summer Is Coming," and uh, in, in the music uh, for the church to which he turned his uh, turn in his last years.
1: Yeah, um, he, Howells did have a lifelong love of uh, cathedral architecture, speaking of church, uh, and much of his church music was written for specific buildings and choirs and individuals. So in the sacred works, he found the perfect niche for his languid romanticism. It was just a, a love of choral texture and resonant acoustics, uh, uh, lots of chromatic things happening. Uh, so he created an ecclesiastical style for the 20th century, as Stanford had done for the 19th. Uh, sort, of a, uh, sort of a sort of reflective, uh, introvert, uh, nostalgic uh, nature of the office uh, of the office of Evensong, found in echoes of Howells's own persona, and at the heart of his religious music stand 16 settings of the canticles, of which those for King's College, Cambridge, uh, Gloucester, and St Paul's Cathedral have established firm places in the repertoire. He even wrote some for uh, Dallas, the Dallas canticles in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a number of large-scale anthems, including, uh, among which are the House of the Mind, which we talked about earlier, and the Sequence for Saint Michael, in sixty-one. Uh, those are examples of that. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, among the best of Howell's songs are his settings of verses by De La Mare, a personal friend. Uh, they include uh, the cycle Peacock Pie, Peacock Pie of 1919, and the collection A Garland for Delamare written between uh, 1919 and 1973. (laughs) That's pretty wide (laughs) span. Yeah, crazy crazy span there. So, uh, for the poet, uh, King David was the perfect setting. In setting the Gregorian poets, his ingrained sense of transience of beauty saved him from the cliché style of some of his contemporaries. Uh, His distinguished body of organ music includes four rhapsodies, uh, two sets of song preludes and two sonatas. Um, the the second uh, of 1932 being his largest and most important solo works, uh, the late uh, Partita written between between 1971 and 72, uh, written in a spare, austere, almost neoclassical idiom, uh, shares characteristics with the contempor- contemporaneous uh, Sonatina for Piano uh, in two sets of miniatures, Lambert Clavicords uh, and Howells Clavicord, and in in Master Tallis Testament. For organ, who was, uh, who used uh, flippantly to describe himself as a reincarnation of one of these lesser Tudor composers, alludes to the world of the Elizabethan virginalist, uh, but uh, placed in an unmistakably modern idiom.
1: So he was a person who was constantly taking in uh, these old English models. Yeah, Uh, looking back. Oh yeah, so Howells's star rose early and seemed to wane in the late 1920s. Although the success of Hymnus Paradisi and the late outpouring of church music reestablished his reputation, uh, to the post-war generation uh, he was known for little else, that is, uh, he did not achieve the position at the pinnacle of English music that was predicted for him. Uh, mm-hmm. However, the, the posthumous rediscovery of his early instrumental and orchestral music has revealed uh, a lot of his uh, lesser-known range and depth. Uh, so at the close of the 20th century, his importance uh, was becoming better understood and it continues to be pretty well understood. A lot of that is due to the efforts of his daughter Ursula, which I, mm-hmm. which I read a bit you know, when I looked, looked up earlier. <laughs> mm-hmm. like she, was, um, she was pretty big on uh, starting the Herbert Howell Society and yeah, really promoting his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That was only after our father's death. But yeah, so he, he's been more and more appreciated uh, these days. Um, But this brings us to the work that we are here to talk about today, and that Mm -hmm. is...
0: Which is Hymnus Paradisi of 1938. Well, kind of. It started in 1938. Might as well be 1930. (laughs) Yeah. So the first performance was at the Three Choirs Festival at Gloucester in uh, in 1950, which the composer conducted. Uh, The Bach Choir gave the first London performance early in 1951 and recorded the work in 1970 with the Philharmonia Orchestra under Sir David Wilcox. Uh, who just died cons- about, um, I guess, four months ago now, mm-hmm. Ish, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, um, so this piece consists of six movements. We have the first movement, which is Preludio, only for orchestra. The second movement, uh, Requiem Eternum. um The first 30 bars I- are identical to the third movement of the Requiem of 1936. Um, the third movement is The Lord is my Shepherd, uh, which is a setting of Psalm 23. Uh, The fourth movement, Sanctus, I will lift up mine eyes, which juxtaposes the Sanctus from the ordinary of the Mass with Psalm 121. Uh, Then movement five is I heard a voice from heaven uh, from the burial service. And the last movement, Holy is the true light, from the Salisbury uh, Diurnal, uh, translation by uh, J. H. Palmer.
1: Yeah, so. G. H. Palmer. G. H. Palmer, Palmer, yeah, yeah. Salisbury Diurnal. What a funny name. Uh, Mm -hmm. They don't use those words anymore. Or at least diurnal. Mm -hmm. It kind of sounds like journal when you say it. I guess that's exactly what it means. Uh, Journal, but. uh, So, four of the choral movements, uh, that is. 2 through 5. Uh, those are settings of Latin and English texts. Uh, these are drawn from the Psalms and from the Misa pro defunctis, the Book of Common Prayer, and are immor- immemorial reflections upon the transient griefs and indestructible hopes of mankind. Uh, all are appropriate to the mood and purpose of a requiem. Uh, so Movement 6 is a setting of lines from the Salisbury Diurnal, used here in the translation by Dr. G. H. Palmer, appearing at the end of Robert Bridges' anthology, The Spirit of Man.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah so uh, there's the circumstances around the discomposition are hard rendering we talked about some a, a lot of this right where um, his, his, his son died um, um, let's see he was nine and years old if that wasn't right really, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so he was that Michael was nine years old when he died and in an attempt to help uh, her inconsolable father his daughter Ursula suggested he should commemorate Michael in music as Howell later wrote quote the sudden loss of an only son might impel a composer to seek release and consolation in a language and terms most personal to him. Music might, might well have power to offer the re- that release and comfort. I um, It did so in my case, unquote.
1: So that's right. If you're ever having a bad time, just write a monumental word for orchestra and choir. In choir. It always <laughs> seems to be just fine. That Make was, sure if, if it's ah. 45 minutes, it'll definitely help you. Yeah, and uh, work that's going to take you 20 years to perform. Yeah, that, that generally helps, just in general. So, so in 1932, Howells had composed a requiem, which we've talked about, although it remained unperformed until almost the end of his life, uh, up in when he was in his 80s. So it was also around this time that he dis, uh, discovered Helen Waddell's medieval Latin lyrics, which included Prudentius's a hymnus circa exequius de functi. Um If you excuse my English Latin, I do... I've decided I, I like to use English Latin these days. Uh, <laughs> it begins, Nunc suscipi terrae, uh, favendum gramioque hunc consaipi moli. <laughs> <laughs> he's just laughing. <laughs> or we can do it in classical. Nunc suscipi terra favendum gramioque hunc uh, concipe moli. Uh, or in sung latin whatever so and that in her translation reads take him earth for cherishing to thy tender breast receive him Uh, he set them as part of an incomplete motet and later became the inscription at the head of the score of what was to become this piece hymnus paradisi later still he set the words entirely uh in his motet which is commemorating president kennedy after his assassination
0: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yep So, um, Howells drew on some of the text and music of the earlier Requiem uh, in the new work uh, he began to write at his daughter's prompting, um, referring to it as the Revised Requiem. Uh, the Latin and English texts are taken from the Psalms, uh, the Misa Prodefunctis, and the Salisbury Dur- Durian, the, sorry, Diurnal, uh, diurnal <laughs> which he described as, quote, in memorial reflections upon the transient griefs and indestructible hopes of mankind, unquote. He explained that he, uh, quote, used only two sentences from the Latin requiem mass at the beginning and the end, knowing that one of them, um, um, et lux perpetua, uh, luceat eis, would uh, govern the work, especially that one word, uh, lux, which is light, Um, unquote. Howell's wished to end the work in a mood of optimism rather than tragedy. He needed someone Uh, quote, an even more intense degree of the work's uh, pervasive radiance, unquote. Uh, For some time, however, he could not find a uh, suitable text uh, until a friend suggested uh, holy is the true light. uh, At the end of Robert Bridges' anthology, The Spirit of Men. For Howells, this was the perfect solution. So trying to end with a a more hopeful manner at the end of this, this work.
1: So yeah, uh, having completed the work in short score in nineteen thirty-eight, and achieved through its composition the personal catharsis in relation to his sorrow, he was uh, it was put away as a private and personal document. Can you imagine writing this humongous work and just putting it in your desk? Mm-hmm. Uh, to be fair, it would take a lot of money to get the thing going. I see it. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're feeling particularly the down and out you might not want to put it on but no it's a um, this is a magnificent work so it was um, in 1949 Herbert Sumption, we've talked about earlier, a master of the music at, a master of music at Gloucester Cathedral, approached Howells for a, for a, a work for the 1953 choirs festival which we mentioned earlier. Now, Howells played through his revised requiem to him uh, Sumption realizing that there was, a, that here was a work of immense quality offered to perform it uh, It was, however, only after Gerald Finzi, von Williams, and Bolt uh, Bolt, uh, expressed similar views that Howells agreed. Um, Finzi, another very big mid-20th century um, Mm -hmm. composer of uh, English music. Uh, He then orchestrated the work and probably composed the orchestral preludio at this time. Uh, The title was Sumption's inspired suggestion, Hymnus Paradisi. Uh, So Howells conducted the first performance of Hymnus Paradisi on September 7, 1950. Uh, Isabel Biley uh, and uh, William Herbert were the soloists for soprano and tenor with choir so you have these humongous soloists Mm -hmm.
0: so uh, uh, this work of course, Jimmels Paradisi is best best regarded as twofold Uh, part one, which are moments one, two or three are continuous Um, in general this part is contemplative but not wholly so there are moments of intense feeling even in the brief concentrated prelude as well as in the choral uh, Requiem Aeterna Do- Dona Aes, uh to which the prelude is linked, um, and the Psalm 23, the third movement, is itself touched by the brooding, darker colors of the orchestral prelude. Uh, this movement, Psalm 23, represents three of four brief themes that have that have place uh, under Mary uh, that have place under Mary Variance in all the succeeding movements uh, except Mombef, movement five. So the, the 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 themes, the musical themes that were here in in this third moment will be present
1: later uh, throughout the piece yeah this is this is a darn good work i mean i honestly i would put it up pretty much right at the um, the brahms requ- german requiem in terms of its sophistication mm-hmm. and really carefully designed uh, harmonies uh, so mm-hmm. through and lines that create these harmonies Uh, So Mm -hmm. throughout, Howells' command of choral and orchestral polyphony is masterly. Uh, And in the description of the music that follows, extracts from the composer's own program notes are quoted. Uh, In the brief concentrated preludio, two important themes are heard at the outset, somber and grief-laden. There is a dramatic eruption of anguish in the middle, leading to a climax that bursts like a shaft of consoling light. Uh, always with shafts of light describing music these days. Uh, despite its contemplative nature, the Requiem eternum that follows has moments of intense feeling. Quote unquote, as when the words at the crux of the whole work, uh, "Et lux perpetua," are introduced with the solo with soprano soloist's entry. The tempo quickens and her tender soaring melody is set to limpid, limpid, um, uh, delicate orchestration. really carefully and tightly designed music.
0: Yeah, and. When I was listening to this, um, I heard a lot of, definitely heard of a lot of Von Williams in, in this work. And especially, you know, we talked about Van Williams 5 in this podcast before, and I heard a lot of um, correlations there between the two works. Uh, but definitely, a great, this is a great work. So, the setting of Dolores, My Shepherd, is touched by the brooding, darker colors of the preludio. Uh, in tranquil phrases, the soprano and tenor soloists sing of the waters, waters of comfort before the chorus, in nervous, uh, intense music, reflects the fear of the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, A fervent climax is reached at I will dwell in the house of the Lord, before the tenor and chorus conclude the setting with a typical uh, Howellsian uh, uh, aching, uh, melting cadence on the word nothing. If
1: you want some good Howellsian aching melting cadences, uh, they, they abound. You find them everywhere. The end of The um, Spotless Rose has, um, is, has one of those really well known. Um, uh, some people, I think Wilcox or somebody like that, claimed that that cadence was the most beautiful uh, ending of any piece. Uh, just this mm-hmm. nice little choral, choral piece, car- carol mm-hmm. that ends with this lovely. So uh, part two, uh, which is movements four, five, and six, comprises three separate sections. Uh, these, especially uh, four and six, mark a new level in the work—one that is more dynamic, higher charged, further ranging. Uh, the rhythmic drive of the middle phrases of uh, middle phrases of "I will lift up mine eyes" and the gradual subjugation. Um, of Psalm 121 by the Sanctus in uh, 4, at the first major climax of the hymnus, uh, are the chief factors in the changed mood of the work. So this, you feel quite a a different pace when you get to this movement. Uh, This simultaneous setting of a double text, one in English, the other in Latin, so kind of macaronic, uh, Mm -hmm. is a point of departure at which the work turns for a time uh, away from its initial brooding contemplation and takes on an almost defiant activity similar to Brahms's Requiem uh, Tot, wo ist dein Stachel? Where is your Sting? Death? Uh, where is your victory? Uh, sort of like that. Uh, so there is uh, some relation there. So in, in movement 4, which is a union of psalm and sanctus, uh, there is a constantly increasing heightening of color. Uh, the semi-chorus, the two soloists, and the main chorus all move toward a climax in which the sanctus uh, for a time supersedes the psalm. Uh, it just it's so loud you, you can't really even uh, make sense of the psalm. So, uh, and the long quiet stretches in which the psalm is again taken up and completed do not essentially diminish the new luminous quality of the choral and orchestral texture. There is a lot going on uh, in that mm-hmm. movement.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the Sanctus, uh, Howell set a combination of Psalm 121 in English and the Latin Sanctus to music that uh, simply blazes with light. The opening seems to evoke the heavenly host and a climax is reached on the word Sanctus, with the soloist riding high above the chorus in an ecstatic uh, song of praise. Uh, Almost immediately afterward, the first major climax of the work um, occurs and with it a point of departure at which the work turns away from uh, the initial brooding uh, contemplation and takes on an almost defiant activity. Uh, After a further further, uh, heady climax at... Uh, Plainisoncelli, the tempo uh, slackens, uh, bringing music of consolation. Um, after this energy, um, uh, I heard the voice is a contemporary easing of tension. Its restraint and quiet give um, it the character of an interlude. Uh, there is a temporary easing of tension and elimination of complexities. Placed between two big movements, four and six, uh, its restraint and quiet give, uh, give it the character of an interlude. Uh, in the scheme of the work, it is, in function, a tranquil, a tranquil preparation for the final section that follows, so, the
1: final move. So on to the final section. The final movement, holy is the true light, unfolds in the three great surges of luminous choral and orchestral writing. Uh, over a deep pedal point, distant ethereal trumpets are heard above an ever swirling orchestral texture until the chorus enters. Uh, the tension rises until a sonorous climax and an exultant change of key. Uh, As uh, the material regenerates with each succeeding appearance, Howells carefully introduces the next part of the text, to which he added a series of alleluias. These, he said, finally prepare and launch the climax of the unfailing splendor wherein they rejoiced with gladness evermore, as the music uh, becomes transfigured with pervasive light and warmth of consolation. That's when I'm quoting, is when I switch accents. Uh, (laughs) uh, So, uh, with the return of immemorial uh, Requiem Maternum, the music turns uh, reflective and tranquil, bringing to a close this deeply moving work in which the human tragedy of a boy's death and a father's grief are enshrined. They're sort of kept in this work. Nice little uh, mm-hmm. package. So, uh, this movement is a gradual oncoming of the true light and radiance that will issue in the unfailing splendor of those who have, quote, endured in the heat of the conflict, unquote. Uh, it is as if uh, personal grief itself spent is merged and lost in a general pervasive light and warmth of consolation. To the translated text from the Sal- Salisbury Diurnal, the composer has added the series of Alleluias. These finally prepare and launch the climax of the, quote, unfailing splendor, where they may rejoice with gladness evermore, unquote. Uh, Thereafter, a return to the immemorial requiem aeternum, requiem dona iis sempiternum, uh, uh, sempiternum, sorry, uh, is both retrospect and ending in terms of complete tranquility. Uh, So this is a huge, huge work. And really fun to do. If you ever have the forces, go ahead and do it. In fact, uh, we, uh, with um, the LSU a cappella choir, alongside um, some singers from High Point University in North Carolina and Ole Miss singers uh, and other choirs, are getting together in um, in Chattanooga this year to perform the work, which is why it's fresh on my mind. Oh, really? It's it's tough. Yeah, I'm I'm working the piece. You're performing this? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, that's awesome. It's fun. It's a whole eight pages of bass part.
0: Because I told you I was going to this concert. I'm going since I I live like an hour and a half away, I'm going to go to the concert, but I didn't know you were doing this work, that's awesome. Oh yeah, it'll
1: be big. Uh, and if any of the, those who are listening or watching care to go, we'd love to have you there at the, uh, the performance there in Chattanooga. It's at the American uh, Choral Directors Association yeah. Yeah, uh, IACDA, uh, meeting. Mm-hmm. It'll be a big thing, big to do, and lots of just good, gut-wrenching uh, music. And, and just very <laughs> delightfully difficult music to sing. It's, it's tough stuff to count, uh, and tough mm-hmm. to find the new harmonies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but yeah awesome
0: you have anything else on this work
1: or on Howells? i think i'm good for
0: now all right great well we experienced a new thing especially for me i mean i've never heard Howells, you know that much so it was great listening to this piece as i was preparing for this podcast all right um well uh thank you for listening to another episode of course um you can of course find us on itunes or youtube where, we, you, where you can see all the annotations and all the images that we put on there um, you can email us at symphonypodcast.gmail.com if you want to tell us anything um, and alright, till next time thank you for listening thanks for listening